Greetings. Thank you for joining us on Christian Reconstruction Radio for this time we shall have together. I'm your host, J.S. Lowther, and this is Sola Scriptura, promoting the law and the gospel to every living creature with an ardent and firm desire to show the perfection of the law of God in every area of life, all to the glory of God and praise this only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received reconciliation. Well, it is another passing of time. I can't say that I am keeping the podcast schedule as good as I had originally wanted to, but hey, we'll have time here to have another look at uh, what's going on in the world and talk about a few issues that are uh, going on right now and, and, uh, you know, look at them through the, the law of God. Honestly, it's a tough choice on what to talk about sometimes, and other times it's a daunting choice. Other times I think to myself, everybody's talking about it uh, in alternative media or a religious type end times prophecy or who knows what, but everybody's looking at the, the front page of the newspapers now, and they are making up their their headlines, and uh, I guess there's a part of me that feels like, well, people have heard enough of that. Why should I be another voice to talk about it? But at the same time, I guess uh, that is what podcasting is all about. And so something that's really been on my mind lately that I've thought about sharing, well, there's there's two major things that I'd like to get into, and that's uh, mainly socialism and Catholicism. And um, I want to start out by saying, regarding Catholicism, I have known good Catholic people, uh, Roman Catholics, over the years, and I don't think every Roman Catholic willfully goes into being a Catholic thinking they're doing anything wrong or that they are innately wrong. However, um, you know, they have their trust and their faith in the church. It does make sense. I mean, they're the largest Christian, quote-unquote, Christian church in the world. And, um, you know, they they do seem to uh, hold it together time after time. But uh, what's happening right now in the Roman Catholic world should get all Roman Catholics' heads spinning um, right now, you know. But one of the things that I've really started to notice that I don't think a whole lot of people are considering right now as things are going in the direction they are, at least I haven't heard a whole lot of people talking about it and thinking about it, is how the concepts of socialism are uniting with Catholicism right now in the government of the United States. Now, of course, it is, uh, when this podcast will be released, it'll be the 4th of the pagan month called January, named after Januarius, uh, the, the door god. Let you look into that on your own. But um, it'll be the third of the month called January. In three days, there may be a different vote from, you know, the government in Washington that is allowed to take place that could overturn Joe Biden's election as it stands today or I should really say if Trump is right in what he is saying right now, it's not going to overturn Joe Biden's election. It's going to uphold the the truth of the vote, um, however that is. And I'm not big into politics. Federal politics is not my thing. I have thought it's been corrupt for pretty much all of my voting age life. And so 
Uh, I do not participate in that um, federal end of things. So, hey, I've even had people tell me you don't have a right to speak on that. But um, I'm going to. <laughs> so um, I do have opinions when it comes to, you know, politics and the way government should should function. Let me get back to what I'm saying. If the election is not given to Trump and we have Joe Biden in office, we're going to have a Catholic president. There's only been two in the history of the United States, John F. Kennedy, who looks like you know a golden boy considering the stuff that, that Biden's saying um, openly and his cohorts. And on top of that, uh, we have a Supreme Court that has absolutely no Protestant representation in it right now also. We also have a number of governors, which are the ones you really got to keep your eye on, as well as um, other elected officials that are Roman Catholic right now in the United States. And maybe it's been this way before, and I just have not caught it. I know the president thing hasn't been the case, but having no Protestant or Reformed representation in the Supreme Court is probably the most alarming thing with a president that's a Roman Catholic. And so let me talk about why that is. What people don't realize is that whatever worldview you have, there are different mindsets and there are two mindsets, two worldviews that come along out of Roman Catholicism and other churches that are structured that way, Episcopal-type churches, where you have prelates and bishops, cardinals, whatever you have, and uh, even a cult mentality, you know, where you actually have uh, a head figure that, that speaks to you. And then you have what I'm just going to broadly classify as the Presbyterian model. And there are two mindsets that come out of that. Now, as far as church government goes, I believe fully in a presbytery. So I am a Presbyterian in that sense of the word. You know, so I do speak with bias here. But I would also say that those Baptists that more or less follow the single talking head guy uh, elder that tells you what to do um, would, you know, they seemingly think more like Presbyterians, but they resemble more of the Roman Catholic perspective because what they say goes. And so in most churches, however, if you look at them historically in the West, you have the two divisions. You have the Episcopalian, I'll just call it, division. And you have the Presbyterial division. One looks at church government from the top down. That's the Episcopal end of it. Okay, so Episcopalian or the Roman Catholic prelate has an idea that you have someone at the top. In the case of the Roman Catholics, you have the Pope. And the Pope pretty much delegates law. Um, he is the vicar of Christ in their worldview. In other words, he he's the fill-in. He's the guy that you go to. He's basically Jesus on earth. I've actually heard 
Roman Catholics say that in interviews when the Pope has come to their town. It's like when they shake hands with the Pope, it's like shaking hands with Jesus. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, it's a little bit weird. But anyhow, you have a power structure that comes from the top down, and it kind of um, disperses or disseminates through those tentacles that run downward from the top. So the Pope speaks, you know, you have your cardinals, your bishops, and your little priests, and they all kind of just listen to what the Pope says. If the Pope says it in a certain way and at a certain time and, you know, so forth, it's as good as law. It's as good as God's law. It's as good as a commandment. It is as good as the Bible. And so that's one way of thinking. The other way of thinking is the presbytery way. And so there are obviously many different ways that different Presbyterian churches function. So I'm going to generalize. But, you know, generally what you have in a Presbyterian church is you have elders. I personally believe they should be real elders. That means men old enough to have had families and raised them and have life experience and so on and so forth. But regardless of your structure, you have elders, you have presbytors, and there's many presbyters, and they're at the top, and they view Christ as the head, and they are spoken to by the Bible itself, okay? And then so then they take the Bible, and then they teach the people through it. So you have many heads. You have maybe, you know, the, the one head, the elder of the presbyters, who will preach and teach and kind of be the one you come to for judgment in the church and stuff like that, or who, you know, help make decisions. But you don't have one individual guy who can just say, this is how it's going, this is how it is, this is the law, okay? And so what this creates in the mind, in the worldview, back to that concept of a person raised in that religion, is how power works, how power comes down from God and what you are vested with. And if you're raised in a system where you have elders and deacons and, you know, um, presbyters or whatever you have in your, your church structure, you understand that there are many men having to work together to help understand the law and led, then legislate law. Okay, it's just a mindset that's totally different that there are channels and corridors you have to go through in order to establish something in the church. And because the church is our representation of the kingdom of God on earth, regardless of if it's right or wrong, that's how we view government. How we view church government is how we view government. Okay? It's, it's the way that we gain a glimpse into how we think things work. And so the Roman Catholic, on one hand, and the Episcopalian, We'll have a worldview that says there's one guy up top and he tells us all what to do. And then, you know, that one guy at the top tells other guys on the top and those other guys on the top tell us what to do. And so when you object to whoever the guy is above you, you're really objecting to God or to the Pope, who's the, the highest authority on earth, you know. And so it's, this is big. this is a big deal. You don't do that. And so here's how I want to roll this over into the discussion I want to have right now. With having so many Roman Catholics and atheists, um, 
and agnostics and whatever else we got out there in government right now, there is something brewing that we should seriously be keeping our eye on. And that's a power grab and we've already seen it. Now, I haven't done great intel work on this. I I just don't have the time to be digging around online and and looking at all the news uh, feeds out there. But there are quite a few Roman Catholic governors and or just a, I'll call them a religious. They just don't really care. They may have been raised one way or kind of sort of, but they don't care. And those governors are grabbing power right now. They have turned certain ways of speech into making people think that there is a power that does, that exists that does not. They call that color of law in legal terminology. It seems like it's law. It's just a shade. It's not really law. And those governors, some of those governors at least, are Roman Catholics. And that's how they understand the way power comes down. Now, even if they've lived in a world that is predominantly, you know, thinking like Presbyterians where you have a a presbytery in government, so to speak, with senators and congressmen and and all these people, even if even if that's the way things should work, and you know that there's a legislature, there is a worldview disconnect that says because I'm in power and I'm at the top of the state, we'll say, or the commonwealth, if I say jump, you say how high. And so with this COVID-19 mask nonsense going on in certain states, one state particularly is Ohio I'm thinking about, um, in New York and, and some of the states like that, you have a, a governor – who he's basically talking in a certain way as if he has power when he doesn't really have it. And just depending on how far you can go and want to go, and even mayors are doing this, by the way, in certain places, as long as the governor is given the wink, the mayors are allowing it um, to happen in certain places, especially New York. And um, you've got this power grab going on right now where you ha- you just have – a mentality that says, I'm on top, I tell you what to do. Now, here's where the intersection of socialism comes into that. By and large, totalitarian-type rule has been historically what the Roman Catholics prefer. You know, you have legislatures in place in states and in countries but if you have a large Roman Catholic population, you basically can just tell them what's going to happen, and the people in charge just say it, and it, and it kind of goes that way. It's only in countries like the United States and what was once um, Great Britain. Uh, you guys are failing pretty pretty miserably over there, letting your states tell you what to do. And in some ways, you don't have the constitutional protections that the United States has um, Australia, you know, Canada, all you guys have, have come to a point where little dictators are telling you what to do. And in the United States, we aren't too far off now. As I said, we've got mayors, we've got governors, we've got, um, uh, you know, uh, soon to be presidents that are, are doing this. 
And I would even say that in, in some ways, the president that's in office now, Donald Trump, uh, he, he likes the power, you know, and uh, but he also has some, well, at least on his lips, he has some kind of respect for the legislature. And so, you know, in America, how things are supposed to work is that we have legislatures that make law. I've mentioned this before on this program. And those legislatures um, pass laws through the government apparatus, through the mechanism of the government, and then those are supposed to reflect true law. True law is based on truth and it's based on justice and righteousness. Of course, that appeals to morality, so you do have to have some kind of morality um, originally. And the whole idea is what is just and what is righteous in this bill that's being passed or whatever, or whatever law wants to be passed, that legislature is supposed to make sure that this is for the better good of the people and then pass it that way. In the sense of the constitutions that we have, they are limited power documents. So these legislatures should not be passing laws anyhow to limit people's freedoms and liberties um, but to uphold the laws, justice, the justice of the law, and to limit government more. It should be always to limit government and and perhaps to govern things, and which is generally the channel by which um, they take to, to lessen freedoms for the people is to cre- create more government and more bureaucracy. And so in these two systems, in this... Presbyterial system on one side where you have the many heads, you have the many who have to come together to legislate. And then on the other hand, you have the Pope who just has to speak and everyone disseminates his his um, power and, and makes people listen. And if you don't listen, we burn you at the stake, which is historically how it's gone. Not doing it now. We've got to show the friendly face. But that's how it's been. America's ideas, because they were predominantly Puritan founded, were Presbyterian. That's what, you know, from the time of of uh, Oliver Cromwell, really, um, and the Puritans who came to the United States, they were predominantly Presbyterians. So they understood power structure differently. And that was a break for them. I mean, it, it was in the 1500s, these, you know, uh, the the Great Reformation took place under Martin Luther and then spread throughout the world. And it was shortly after that that we have these Presbyterian Puritans that are coming out of the church wanting to purify the church. Um, And so, you know, that's the way they viewed the world, was through that worldview, because that's what they were convinced of that God wanted. And so government would reflect a Presbyterian system. Okay, of course, they were not totally anti-monarch, but the monarch needed to be kept in his place. If the monarch broke the terms of a covenant, which is the nature of a you know in the nature of a constitution, then uh, farewell sovereignty is, I, I believe, how it was put at the trial of um, of, of King Charles the First. You know, if you break those terms, if you if if you can't do the office that you as a monarch, as a head of state, can do and help the presbytery govern the way it's supposed to and have a balance of power in that way, then farewell sovereignty. You have no sovereignty. You are not a sovereign any longer in that sense. 
And so there's a, a limited sovereignty that even a monarch had under the, the Presbyterian um, parliament. So take that into account whenever we consider the, the nature of worldview and what it does to a nation. What does it do to a country? What does it do to a government that is functioning? And biblically, you know, the Bible is based on the idea of judges. Uh, that's why we have a book called Judges in, in the Bible. If you go into God's law, uh, particularly you'll see this in the book of Numbers, how, the way it was broken down and spelled out. It was very much a, a Presbyterian episcopate. In other words, you do have a place for a uh, episcopal figure, an episcope, or a overseer, a bishop. You have a a place for that man. There is a guy who does it, but he is not the Lord over the little guys. He is not the Lord of the many. Rather, the elders judge their own matters, and uh, when a matter is too great for them, they appeal upward to ask for better judgment. And so it's all about taking your causes according to Deuteronomy chapter 1, um, as well as Exodus chapter 18, um, taking the causes that are too hard for you and and going upward with them. We don't have a biblical system that represents this independent ruler idea, this, you know, pope-type situation. Do you have Moses? Sure, but, you know, you have Moses... At this time, who's like a king, um, it, it even says in, in the scripture, he's like a king over Jeshuron, but his function is to judge by the law of God. It's to, to judge matters. And we've lost the concept of judgment and justice in these things right now in our country. And the socialist mentality is the best mentality to fill the void when people start thinking there should be a man in control. And that happens because we don't know our Bibles. It happens because we don't know the law of God. We don't know the word of God. And um, it's really sad to see, but, you know, scripturally speaking, we don't have the form of government socialism offers us. We do not have this top-down government Rather, we have this family-based, this very familial-based government structure where you have heads of houses, they're called fathers, and then you have um, the old men, the presbytors, the elders, and then out of those elders, there's these elders that sit in the gates and they judge matters, as you see, for instance, in the book of Ruth, whenever that matter comes before them and in other places all throughout the, the scripture. And then from there, you go up to the next level of judges, um, that may go into what we would call the federal uh, branch of government, which would meet in Jerusalem, um, as you see in the book of Numbers in the first chapter, uh, in the second. And so, you know, you have this idea where the people care, the heads care for their people, they care for their families, they care for their um, congregations that they they are over, not in the sense of lording over them, not that their word doesn't matter either, not that a father's word in the house isn't the final say, um, not that a grandfather or great-grandfather's um, say in a house didn't matter. It did. And if he spoke and there were certain things that he says, you know, this is what has to be done because this is a better thing for the family, 
to to you know function then out of honor that deep sense of honor of your father you listened and so every disagreement with grandpa didn't necessarily terminate in a death sentence but it was expected that a person should listen to the elders because they have wisdom and and those elders um, will not guide you wrong and of course the biblical model is a family-based model you know it's tribalism you have tribes 12 of them and then every tribe has families and in those families it breaks down um, you know those are larger families or kindreds clans so to speak Uh, it, it, it just gets smaller and smaller until you have you know a certain unit um, of tens, fifties, hundreds, thousands, and so on and so forth. And so, you know, biblically speaking, the presbyterial understanding of government is what is represented out of the law of God. It's what's endorsed by Paul in the books of Titus and Timothy. Um, so it's definitely a difference from a totalitarian monarch, and it's definitely a difference from what we're seeing creep up into the United States, and that's socialism, which always has a dictator. It always has a main ruler. It always has the guy whose murals on on the wall, who's the greatest guy ever, who's going to save you uh, when things go bad. Um, And this socialism that is coming will match and fit very well with the Catholic government that we are seeing Come into power. I want to just read a section out of the Westminster Confession um, that I'm sure anyone who uses that in their church, uh, for whatever reason, will will recognize. Especially if you're a young boy sitting in the pew while they read a, a chapter 25 in the Westminster Confession, you. Um, you may notice this in the uh, sixth part of chapter 25. It says, There is no head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition, that exalts himself in the church against Christ and all that is called God. Um that's one of those uh, statements that I'll have to be um, I have to be honest that uh, whenever I first started taking uh, the Westminster Confession reading it more seriously that uh, section jumped right off the page at me and thought wow these guys were serious when it came to making sure you knew exactly where they stood about the papacy and um I mean that's pretty pretty bold, pretty direct, and written right into some major um, confessions of faith. And uh, you know, I think that many people who are part of a church that holds the Westminster Confession, unless your church has has decided to snip that part out, um, should truly realize how serious um, the denominations who have sprung from that confession have gone, uh, specifically the Presbyterian Church. But um, they've got bigger problems than that in most of their denominations. But nevertheless, I mean, that's a huge worldview difference that is no longer even considered anymore whenever 
um, people think about what's going on in politics and thinking about um, how this interacts. I hope that all makes sense. I hope hope you can kind of see the connection there at what I'm pointing out because it, to, I, I'm not saying that this is alarming in the sense that, oh, I'm afraid, but this is alarming to see happen and to see so many people not care that it's happening. It's also a real eye-opener to show you how weak the, the Protestant churches are and how weak especially the Reformed Protestant churches are now, which in certain places, New England and in the South, um, you know, there was a much stronger Reformed presence that followed more closely to Presbyterian ideas. You know, one of the things that I just really want people to, to maybe think about is how do you view government? And do you use the law of God? Do you use, use sola scriptura to process what is righteous government? You know, this is a Reconstruction uh, podcast, and it's on Christian Reconstruction Radio. And so, you know, we can talk about Reconstruction all we want, but how is it going to look in the future if we were to have our druthers? What is it that we should actually think government should look like? And is the government structure of the United States Constitution the most biblical structure we can come up with? Is is that even, you know, what we're appealing to? Because oftentimes we'll, you know, because of the strong church government that affected the United States Constitution, and there's just no doubt about that. I mean, um, that the type of government we had, sure, it was a... It had certain influences from Rome and Greece and and things like that. But all in all, it is a reflection of a more puritanical Protestant um, outflowing from what had happened in Great Britain after the times of Charles II, you know, and the persecutions that took place when when he when the son of Charles I came back on the throne and persecuted. The Puritans, and so when they fled, they brought their governments here, and they didn't come to the United States and not set up government. They had to be organized. You know, you don't stay alive when you have savage Indians um, who are not interested in your white presence in their their country. Uh, you don't stay alive by being an individual living in the woods all by yourself. You stay alive by forming a cohesive body with like-minded people, and sometimes the like-mindedness was varied. It wasn't always a, a um, you know, purely homogenous understanding of religion, but it was a search, certain cultural connection that was found in being European and being British, uh, even if it was Scotch-Irish and English and, you know, whatever it was, um, you know, there was a certain cohesion that took place like that, and then there was also this just common um, Reformed Christianity that they could share. And so they would come up with a way to work together. And the strongest um, settlements in the New World at that time would have been those where they understood how church government was to work together, where the elders did the same job, and that's what they expected. They knew how to how to put them in office, and that very much impacted um, the founding of the United States and how 
the Constitution became what it was because most of those colonies um, prior to the Constitution already had a way to govern the the colonies, and it was based in their understanding of church government and in their understanding of the law of God. And I'm not even saying those were perfect. I'm just simply saying it flows, your worldview of government flows out of your worldview of church government. Um, the way a nation is to be governed is going to flow out of how you you see the church govern because the church is how you see God placing his power into the congregation. It's how you see judgment taking place when questions arise of doctrine and, and theology and and all of these things. You know, it's not just, you know, how many pews are you going to have and what color are they going to be and what paint is going to be on the wall and, you know, nonsense, all this nonsense, what hymnals you're going to, you're going to have uh, and what color their binding is. You know, that kind of stuff is trivial. The, the importance of, of these men and what they needed to have established in the new world in the Puritan life in early America would have simply been, how do we stay alive? How do we worship God, which is the reason we came here together? And how do we stay safe and keep our children safe um, in the process, knowing that they had an adversary out there that was more than willing to kill them on multiple sides? Um, And so, you know, I don't think we oftentimes think of why we have the government that we have in the Constitution and why it is structured in the way it is. And I am by no means, and hear me plainly, I am by no means saying it is a perfect uh, document. Um, I've said in the past that I think that there are things that need to be changed about it, and it would I would personally uh, like to see the United States Constitution when it's finally rewritten by the new Christian republic that's going to have to eventually arise um, in the future, is that the name of God is mentioned in there. Either Yahweh, Jehovah, the God of Israel, I don't. it doesn't matter to me which one is chosen, as long as it is a biblical um, epitaph that is in there that's right out of the Bible uh, in, in a way by which God addresses himself that's so specific that you know that you're talking about the God of the Holy Bible so that you can link your morality to the Bible and and not screw up again um, by saying, well, we don't really know what these people believed and we're not really sure. I mean, this seems like they were just rationalists and, you know, we're not really sure uh, if they uh, believed in the Bible or not or if they wanted us to look at the Bible as the basis of this government because, you know, we got practices like, opening the Bible to the book of Deuteronomy and swearing on the blessings and the curses, um, you know, section of the law of God that, you know, we're told, well, that's always been that way. It's been that way since the beginning. Well, that's great. But does it say that anywhere that when you take the oath of office to be president, to take that oath that you will uphold the Constitution? And if you break that oath, farewell presidency, can you find any of that written that you swear upon the blessings and curses of the law of God? No. No, we don't have it. And so the enemies always have an objection. They always have a good reason to say, well, yeah, maybe it was a Christian presbyterial mindset that created the Constitution, but it obviously wasn't what they wanted us to know because they didn't put it in writing that way. 
And they're absolutely right. And so you have to do a lot of fancy footwork to fortify the United States Constitution um, as a Christian document, and it just simply can't be done. Um, it can't be done effectively, really. With that being said, um, you know, what I'd like to, to just leave that with is, yeah, the name of God should be in the Constitution. I would, I would particularly think that the triune God should be mentioned. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit should be mentioned in there. Specifically, um, the rule of Jesus Christ as King should be mentioned in there. And of course, with that, you could go back to the, the very Constitution we have right now, the United States Constitution. If it just cited who God was, who the King was, and if it if it just mentioned the Bible as being the rule of faith and government, if it just did that, then you could go back to the way government is structured and you could amend it. You could take the um, government structure that's mentioned all throughout the you know the Constitution and and change Congress, change the Senate, and you could make it reflect a biblical reconstructed form of government, but. You know, right now, because it's viewed like nothing more than Republican rationalism, and I mean Republican in the true sense of the word, it's just a republic that's been rationalized as the best form of government. It's just based on how well you think. Rational. What's rational? And while we Christians who say all logic has to come from the word of God, the logos, um, not everybody thinks like we do. You know, not everyone thinks rationality and logic um, has to flow from God and has to be based on truth. Um, and this, we see this in the last decade, particularly in the last three years, more than we've ever seen it in my lifetime. I mean, people just don't care what's right, what's wrong, what's true, what's false anymore. I mean, the odd thing to me is when we look at this tyranny that's starting to take place, you know, where you can't go grocery shopping without a, a mask or a face diaper on, you um, you get looked at sideways, you know, and then someone tells you you got to put it on. You can have some guy who says that he's a woman and obviously isn't because he's got a beard, um, but, you know, he identifies as a, as a, as a woman. you got to dress him as she, and that flies. Oh, yeah, that's the yeah. He has his right. He can do that, you know, and we even have to question our own sanity, whether or not he is that way or he isn't that way. You know, what he what he is, what she is, whatever, you know, we got to sit there and fight with logic um, and reason over it. But at the same time, you know, I can't rationally tell a person, well, that face diaper is not going to stop germs, and if you want to wear one, that's that's totally fine. That's up to you. I'm not going to wear one though, because it's my right not to. Um, that's not you know you can't talk that way. It's not rational. I should be able to say I have a mask on when I'm not actually wearing a mask on. I should be able to tell somebody that you know I, this is a mask, and they say, well, you're not wearing anything on your face. I say, yes, I am. Don't you dare tell me I'm not. I should be able to just reason like that. Um, and say, I'm wearing my mask. It's a spiritual mask. You can't see it, but it's there, buddy. Um, <laughs> but it, it, that only works if you're a female that wants to be a man or a man that wants to be a, 
a female. It only works when, you know, there's no such thing as gender and race and, and all the other stuff that we see with our two eyes. But it, it can't work whenever, whenever you're dealing with tyranny because the tyrant tells you what to think and how to think and when to be confused and when not to be confused, and that's just the way it is. So, you know, with that being said, uh, I would, you know, I was just thinking this, this whole thing through as how government is starting to pile up in a certain way, and I don't think that we have a good mix right now for Protestants, Reformed, anyone who's strong of faith. As a matter of fact, what I had mentioned in prior podcasts about a time of persecution coming upon us, I truly and honestly believe will be here by the time um, the next generation is 40 years old, the, the children being born now. When they're 40 years old, the things that are going to be going on are just absolutely uh, archaic in the sense of tyranny. And I can only hope that some out there are going to gain their minds, their way of thought, and they are going to somehow create networks where they can, you know, work something out, even if we are put into some form of persecution. But of course, you know, the big they, they have their uh, technology too and way to monitor it all. And so um, Christians are, are going to be, <laughs> we're going to be separated. You know, we're going to be separated. If we don't have local fellowship, if we don't have a local community that we can trust and people we trust in our community where at, you know, at least you know that you can take care of one another on the, on the simplest ways. And like I was talking about our, you know, Puritan, forefathers in the United States, our pilgrim Puritan forefathers, you know, who had each other in times of adversity. I mean, it's going to be that serious. You can't run a country the way that we are running it right now in economics, in defense, um, in, 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 you know, society. You just can't run it and have it be there as it is now. For much longer, okay? I mean, people think money grows on trees. They think, and it, and it kind of does, it's made of paper. Um, but anyhow, you know, they think they think money is just something the government can print and give it to you. Well, the more they keep doing this, the more they keep giving out this, this money, the more they keep creating more money to give out, the more this problem is getting worse and worse economically for everyone. And beyond that, you know, a person who is willing to take what it is that they will give them is also a person who is able to be controlled to get more of whatever they are giving. Um, I think it was said by uh, Thomas Jefferson, if I remember correctly, not one of my favorite people either, um, particularly hate his, uh, his Jefferson Bible, uh, personally, you know, I'm, that's kind of like an act of sedition against God, the stuff he wrote in there. But anyhow, Thomas Jefferson said that a government that can give you all that you want can take away all that you have. And that's exactly the truth. Um, he obviously knew something about 
tyrannical government. And uh, that's one of the tricks that they they always use is, you know, how can you catch the nobles and give them more so that the nobles will come, uh, you know, the, the, the governors in our case and, you know, the mayors, whoever it is, how – how can they come and get more and more and more and the people get more and more and more? Um, and once you get them hooked, then you can take away all they have. It's kind of like, you know, a Chinese monkey trap. They got their hands stuck in the trap. And as long as they got a fist fist clenched and want what's in there, they can't get out. And uh, they'll do whatever you want them to do to give them that bait, whatever it is. And we've really got to a point where people just aren't thinking truly rationally and logically to see the end result of all of the stuff we are doing and piling up on us right now. And I am not trying to be a naysayer on the world. I'm not trying to paint the dark picture of the world, but I am definitely trying to paint a picture for those of you who are listening, who understand what's going on, that we really need to find like-minded people nearby us in these times and start hammering out church government based on the law of God and stop thinking about churches like they have four walls. Stop thinking about church like it is a building. Stop thinking about church like it is an activity center. Stop thinking about church like it's a place to babysit your kids on a certain day of the week. We need to start thinking about church as the called out, which is the meaning of the word church. It needs to be exactly what God calls it. And we need to use that knowledge that we have to better our relationships with one another, to structure structure and strengthen our families. We need to be able to um, start organizing ourselves in a way that we can depend and trust on the Word of God and trust on each other. And the power of the Word of God vests in whoever the presbyters are um, or elders are in our lives and be able to trust them in a way that, uh, you know, we can bypass some of the government stuff that's going on uh, right now and have our own judgment. It will benefit quite a bit if we start now so that we can um, get ready for whatever's going to come down the pike in the future. The stuff that happens in communist countries and countries that are socialized um, in the way the United States is going to be socialized is never friendly. I would strongly recommend um, someone going and reading um, some history on the Bolshevik Revolution. Uh, if I remember correctly, there was um, a book written, Nicholas and Alexandria, I believe it was. And uh, that was a pretty good book, but it told the story of you know, the um, Bolshevik Revolution and how it went down. And one of the things that started happening was supply trains were getting stopped by the socialists, by the Bolsheviks, um, and the butter and the sugar and the flour, um, which, you know, there was a lot of starvation going on. There was a lot of upheaval. Things weren't getting to where they were supposed to be going anymore. Um you know, transportation was no longer functioning on the trains and the boats and, you know, whatever else, whatever ways that they they um, did things. And that's that's starting to happen here, whether it is because of Christmas and 
and uh, gift giving like that, and there's just a lot of gifts, or whether it is actually you know certain theft going on, which it seems like everybody you talk to right now has identified theft in the mail, just packages stolen and taken. I mean, absolutely chaotic. I sent something um, three states away. Uh, and it took a whole month to get there, and it was only a letter. You know, it was only a, a small package the size of a letter to somebody here um, last month. It took a month to get to them. Um, it didn't get stolen, but it took a month to get to them. And so there is quite a bit of similarity right now with other socialist upheavals that have taken place in the world. And it is not, you know, I, I can say this and, and, and people can say, well, yeah, people said that before, you know, the Birchers used to say stuff like this. And, you know, uh, this is just more Christian nonsense, you know, to make us afraid of communism uh, like they did during the McCarthy era or something like that, you know. But <laughs> the, the, the truth is you don't have to go far to go listen to what these people are talking about. Um, the politicians that are running for office are, are admitting that they're socialists now. I mean, they, they're they and I don't care if it's a Democrat or Republican, whatever their title is, they think like socialists, and some of them actually profess socialism, and some of them just downright profess communism. And um, this whole concept of, like, you know, being woke and, and uh, you know, somehow – raising up the little guy and lowering the guy who's on top and all this stuff, you know, leveling the play, the playing field, That's that has been the pitch. That's the pitch of, of communism. It's always been the pitch of communism. And, uh, you, you know, only the elites here soon are the ones who are on the true top and everybody else is in poverty. And and uh, that's just how it goes. I mean, it, and it will stay that way. And once you have a few generations behind you, like China has, the children think that this is normal. You know, they just, ah, this is the kind of government we live under. It's just the way it is. Kind of like people feel right now about having a constitution and a rule of law. And so, you know, I just want to say one more thing to the other Reconstructionist brothers out there that are listening. You know, we've all heard the anti-constitution um, crowd out there. Um, there's books and stuff out there on, you know, why the Constitution is ungodly and this and that. And I'm on board. Like I said, things need to change. But here's the truth. Uh, a rule of law that you can hold officials to, if you can hold them to it, that's the, you know, you need judges that will do that. And if the judges aren't willing to do that, then it's already gone. But a rule of law, such as the Constitution and the state constitutions, that you can hold against a official who goes outside of his limited government and he inflicts tyranny. For instance, governors that are not just giving their executive order recommendations and such, but if a governor were ever to try to cause the sheriffs or the legislatures, somebody, whoever it is, his special task force, to put you in jail and to punish you for not wearing a mask or challenging COVID, or whatever the case is, uh, then you should be able to sue him through the government, sue the government, sue the one doing that, which those suits are happening uh, still. And then that that official, whoever it is, that governor, whoever it is, because he has broken his, his oath 
He's broken the Constitution, essentially, the state constitution and maybe the federal constitution. He is liable for that. Okay, and so he he's the one who's a criminal at that point. He's the one who's gone too far. And they have ways of getting him out of office and getting whoever's under him or, you know, in in office. And that that's all written in state constitutions to show us how that's supposed to work in our particular rule of law that we're talking about. And so a rule of law is important for reasons like that. Okay, having a constitution, having a rule of law even if it's not the right rule of law, at this point, it will limit government if there is, you know, the focus on anti-tyranny. Because as long as that sentiment is in there, it still gives you free movement to prosecute the tyrant. And if you can't prosecute the tyrant, then Tyranny will reign and you will be oppressed as a, as a, as a little guy. Um, you have to keep government officials in their place. And like I said, with this strong Catholic influence that is coming in, guys like Joe Biden is going, he, he has a worldview that says there's this one guy on the top, the Pope. And the Pope's been winking at Joe Biden. You know, who knows what that means anymore, but he's been winking at Joe Biden for, you know, several months now um, with becoming president. And that's good enough. That's as good as, you know, Jesus or God saying, hey, Joe, you're on my side. Go and do what you want to do. And so, you know, what kind of government is is this guy going to want to run? It's not going to be. The type of government where the legislatures are maintaining the law. It's just not going to be that type of government. The way he's going to view it is he's the guy on top. And he's going to tell the legislatures what to legislate. If there's even a place for a legislature after a while. And, um, you know, the reason for it is because, you know, in the course of history, when the Roman Catholic Church had developed and had become what it is, uh, that bishop of Rome, that um, head bishop idea that there's one bishop to rule them all. <laughs> you know, I don't wonder if that wonder if that, that's where all the all the rings from Lord of the Rings came from. Maybe it's what maybe it's all the the rings they all get uh, in in the Catholic Church. But um, you know, if there's one uh, ring that rules them all, and you happen to be one of the recipients of the under rings. And you answer to the big ring, then you know you you've become one of those guys. And so, you know, I I don't think that I don't think that people just have stopped and thought about the historical blunder Protestant America is making right now. It's a historical blunder. You know, people have never have never accepted the type of thinking that's going on. Nonsense reigns, and the type of government that's being talked about was never tolerated. People had their head on their shoulders. And this just, this isn't even rational, some of the stuff that's going on. But it's going to be a power grab. And that power grab is coming at a great time. I have to say, of course, this is the will of God. God is setting it this way to teach uh, Israel a lesson. 
the church is in need of being corrected, and I think that correction is very much so soon to come. And so I'm going to close things up here um, on that note. I know this hasn't been a... a um, a thrilling uh, episode. I didn't get too worked up or anything. And uh, this is not something that um, maybe is interesting to everyone, but I really hope that with the worldview changes that are going on in light of the scripture, we can consider what we are seeing happen and make the appropriate stances that are needed to be stood so that we can... um, persevere in in the future. You know, have a better organization of our families, have a better organization of our churches, learn how to um, work with one another, uh, move closer to one another in certain situations where if you don't have a congregation, you don't have someone that you trust or a family uh, base that you trust, that you can be near one another and get prepared for times of hardship um, and and uh, this great shift that is taking place in the world that we live in. And also, uh, obviously, to get out there and spread the simple message of the gospel um, and watch the effects that the pure gospel can have on a uh, society. I mean, you see an individual who can go from a reprobate rebel sinner to a, a Christ-loving mostly moral person. Um, It's an amazing change that just the simplicity of the gospel can bring a person. So, you know, never underestimate what that simple preaching can do and what that simple message can, can accomplish either. Um, And, and hopefully, uh, you know, as people come together and they start realizing the need for proper church government among themselves and uh, you know, in the way that they can care and take care of one another as the Bible depicts the church as being, not as, like I said, walls in a building and and pews and so on and so forth, but as people, as the called out who are called together, um, able to take care of one another and care for one another's needs, um, that maybe, just maybe, if we are persecuted like we deserve, um, that church can harden and form together and be forged into something and stand the test of time um, while every you know the wind blows and while everything else becomes destroyed around us. If we can become the church we're supposed to be, if this is the time the Lord has called us to it, then we will have something to offer once this time is over with. And so if I have not left that as being my primary reason for this episode of Sola Scriptura and focusing on these worldview changes um, that have taken place in these two distinct worldviews in the Roman Catholic Church and, you know, what I've called the Presbyterial uh, Church, the Presbyterial system, then we need to think about it. We need to consider what the future is going to hold for us, this time can only last so long, um, but it's here for a reason. It's here to do something to us. It's here to draw us um, to Christ. It's it's here to have us put more of our faith in Him. 
and uh, maybe tighten our belts a little bit more as time goes on. But um, we've got to remember that prosperity is not the the sign of godliness. That gain is not godliness, but uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. So if we can remember that during these times of adversity, then maybe we can come out on the other side on top, which is you know, probably where we have failed while prosperity has been here is enjoying the prosperity and not focusing on the things of God enough when we had the opportunity. So I won't say it this time. I won't say I'll see you in two weeks because I may not, but I'll try. Uh, <laughs> but um, we're going to call off here and uh, we'll see you next time. CR 101 Radio Network is a Christian Reconstruction Internet radio station that hosts and broadcasts lectures, sermons, and podcasts 24-7. Take a look at our website at cr101radio.com. Also, GCS Apprenticeship Program is a training program dedicated to the next generation of Christian teachers so that they can be equipped to get involved in the inspirational task in honor of being a Christian teacher or even owning and operating their own Christian school. See you again, gcsapprenticeship.com.